search out family. In fact, if you look at it very carefully, it starts in right around September, the church all of a sudden switches into another mode, and I like to call it evangelistic mode. We become more giving, we become more outgoing, we become more looking on everybody else and saying, how can we help? We also do this in the spring, and we don't even know it sometimes, but we do this in the spring. When all of a sudden everything starts bursting out with flowers and green leaves and everything again, we all of a sudden become a little more outgoing, and we start sharing with one another again. It's just kind of the natural cycle of a church. And so this time of year, it is a time where we can share things a little easier because people are open to it. Um, and I know some of you are like, well, Jesus was not born this time of year. I know he was born in September, October. I know that for a fact. And, uh, but that does not take away from the fact that we can share with people this time of year the love that we have for our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads as we start today and we dive into something called giving. Father in heaven, I pray that you'll be with us as we search out not the, just this topic, but dear Father, this principle, this way of life. I pray that you'll give us the ability to see beyond the things that we can see with just our eyes and that you'll open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Today our scripture is taken from Malachi chapter three, if you would turn there with me, and I'm going to read verse 10. In fact, I would actually encourage you this week to read this entire chapter because it talks about the coming of Jesus. But I'm going to read verse 10, and it says this, and you're like, oh no, pastor's gonna talk about money. Not really. I'm gonna be talking about more than money. But Malachi 3.10 says, bring all the what? Tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up you to you the windows of heaven and pour out for such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, in just reading this, let me tell you, this week, some of you thought that the windows were boarded up and the doors were locked. I know that because I've heard from a number of you that have had complications in your life. I know that some of you ended up in the hospital this week. I know that some of you online actually ended up going for a ride in the ambulance and finding out that your heart wasn't working as well as it was, that you've lost loved ones during this year, and it's really hard this time of year. But I'm looking at this text and saying, you know what? We've always taught that if you give tithes and offerings, God will bless you immeasurably. And then we forget to ask an important question. Why, what, where, how, what? We forget to ask why. In fact, it says in the Bible something very interesting here. The first things that it says in this text is bring. It's a command. And we're like, I don't like to be commanded to do anything. I don't like to be told that I have to do anything. But it's an expectation of God that says you will bring the tithe. I want to raise a question that is designed to clarify the understanding of why we tithe today. Why do we bring tithe to God? Why do we not only put, you know, this little envelope in there with just 10% of our income? Why do we do that? Every single one of us is a follower of Jesus, but why do we do that? What is our motivation? For some, it may be, well, you know, God promised, and if I give a little bit of money, then he's going to bless me so much. The windows of heaven are going to open up. That's why I do it. 
Or I do it because I have to, because I'd feel guilty if I don't. Or, you know, somebody told me I should do it, and I just kind of followed it, and I really don't know why I do it. Why Sabbath after Sabbath we donate online or in a plate or in a box at our church? Why do we bring the tithes and offerings into the Lord's house? Quite simply, I would like to not only answer that question, but I would like to ask you that question right now. Why do you tithe? Sometimes we don't understand why we do things. And it was like a friend, I read this in, I think it was Popular Mechanics, uh, December 30, 2016. There was a man in China that was given a gift and not knowing what it was, I mean, he looked at this and he was like, well, that looks like a wonderful thing to open up walnuts with. And so he was using it and he was pounding the walnuts and he was like, this thing works awesome. And he did it for 25 years and then he was waiting for a bus one day and saw this thing, and this is China, so you have to understand sometimes that um, propaganda is what it is. So there was this thing on explosives. If you see these things, you need to report it. And he was reading down through the list and then he saw a picture that was like this. He was like, wait, wait, what? And he started reading further and he found out that this was a personal explosive device, better known as a grenade, invented in World War I by the Germans. All you had to do was pull this little thing and it exploded. And he said, oh no. And usually the ones that were dummy had a label on them or something that was etched into them that said dummy. And his did not say the word dummy in Chinese. So he took it gingerly after using it for 25 years to beat the living daylights out of walnuts and turned it in, and they found out, yes, behold, there was explosives in it. At least that's the story that they share. Sometimes we just don't ask questions, do we? We get a gift from God, and we just don't ask questions. And sometimes I think it's good to ask the questions because something might just blow up in our faces. It might be something that we really need to know. And I think tithing and actually giving offerings is something that we may need to look at we need, we need to look at why. And I would say that the first one we need to look at is because it is a command of God. Just a second here. My uh, technology seems to be kind of working. Not quite. In fact, if I looked at the percentages, and this is not this church, this is in general in the Seventh-day Adventist church only, about 47% of the population in the Adventist church worldwide tithes. And some of you are like, wow, that's kind of low. But that's just the reality of things. And then when you look at all the things that um, we do as a church, tithe is only 10% of our, our income. Did you realize none of that is kept here? None of it. It's sent to the conference. And then when the conference gives it, gets it, they send a portion up to the union level, and the union level sends a portion up to the division level. And so the com local conference runs on right around, I think it's 90%. Um, I might be off by the numbers a little bit, but they run around 90% of the tithe, and all of that is used in the local conference. And then the local church, what we operate on is the offerings. And when you look at that, you're like, wow, you know, that's a lot of money. Every month when I do out my tithes and offerings, it's something that 
sometimes does not equal up. When I do all the things that I owe on and all the bills that I have and everything, sometimes I'm like, dear God, how in the world are you gonna do that? Uh, I, I really need that tithes and offerings. It's kind of something I really need right now. And I'm like, nope. I'm going to listen to what this text says. The text says, try me. It's a dare from God. It's a dare from God. If you look at Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, we're going to look at it again here. It says, bring as a command all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and try me now on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up for you the windows of heaven. Have you ever wondered why God uses the word windows? Why not the door? It's bigger. Well, actually, there are more windows in a house than there are doors, at least in my house. There are usually two or three doors, maybe four, but there are a lot of windows to let in the light. And so when God says that if you don't believe me, trust me, you will have all the windows opened in heaven. Can you imagine how many windows are in heaven? I look at just the New Jerusalem, just the New Jerusalem. And I fathom in my mind, how many windows are there? How many of you have ever been driving through a city and you look at all the skyscrapers and wonder, how many people live up there? How many windows are there? Can you imagine all of those windows being opened up or even a fraction of the windows being opened up and all of a sudden money starts flying? What would you do? Be honest. <laughs> would you stay in your car? <laughs> Do you think the person next to you would stay in the car? No. We'd be out there going, money from heaven. Thank you, Lord. If they're $1 bills, well, maybe. I mean, if it's Chicago or Minneapolis, it's a little cold. But, I mean, if you can get enough of them, I mean, come on. If it's $100 bills, I'll take my jacket off and use it as a collection device. I mean, that's just the way it is. I don't care if it's two degrees. But that kind of gives us a little clearer picture of who we are as human beings. When God says, I'm going to open up the, the windows of heaven, what becomes our motivation to look up? What becomes our motivation to listen to the command? So the first thing we look at today is God said it. It's a command. It's something that I know I should do. And in relationship with God, if he gives me a command, I'm going to obey it because I love him. That's the simple truth of the first one. If God gives a command, I am definitely... Um, I'm going to listen to it. For instance, how many of you have ever talked to a friend and all of a sudden they said something very, very disturbing to you? It was life-altering. I had one of my friends do that. It's just because you're stubborn and you need to change. Me? Stubborn? What are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. I've been friends with you for years. You're stubborn. <sighs> okay, okay. Why do we take it? Because we have built a relationship. We're friends. We understand one another. And when they say it, guess what? It's true. And it's the same thing that we have with God. If you really want to find out how close you are to God, all of a sudden, if he tells you to do something that you're uncomfortable with and you put on the boxing gloves, you know that your relationship is not where it needs to be. So when you learn to give and when God gives a command, if you all of a sudden have a resistance to that, you need to realize, my relationship with God really needs to be better. 
And so that's what we find out today, that if we take a command from a close, trusted friend, it's a lot different than taking it from somebody that we don't know. So it's a temperature gauge for us how close we are to Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know how many of you have recently seen a lot of the uh, coin things that are on uh, uh, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, people going through coins and all of a sudden finding things that are really worth a lot of money. Um, it's amazing to see how interested we become in something when it becomes worth something to us. So the question is this morning, how much is the relationship with God worth to us? And God only says 10%. That's it. Keep the 90, just 10%. Now, how many of you would like to count this morning 10% of this crop? <laughs> I know, I see some of your wheels working already. Some of you are mathematic and you're like, okay, that's about an inch, and I think how many inches across. And if you, uh, Pastor, how deep is it? I have no idea. I don't know how deep it is, but imagine tithing on this. How many of you would tithe by counting it one by one? Be honest. Yeah, some of you, you would do it because you are detailed. How many of you would do it by weight? Okay. How many of you don't care? You would just kind of like, okay, that's about, eyeball it. Yeah, there's a number of you too. <laughs> but it's interesting that when you see a local church looking at tithes and offerings, we're not expectantly looking at you and be like, empty your pockets. We're like, you've made a deal with God. You talk to God and you figure out what is going to happen. We don't come down and be like, okay, you, 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 you need to pay more. That's not what we do. We're reminding people that tithes and offerings are something that is a relationship built with God, and that if you want to have a wonderful relationship with him, that you will automatically respond to God, and when you do, you will do tithes and offerings. And that is up to you and God. It is a sacred plan. It is a simplistic and very effective plan. In fact, I think some of our uh, politicians could kind of get a cue from this if they went with some, and they won't, won't go there this morning. Anyhow, it would be kind of interesting that when Israel, when they had 10%, there was no need for the priesthood. In fact, we pay pastors, the conference workers, and subsidies for teachers. We pay evangelism and a few other things that I have not listed because I don't know everything but it's, it's amazing that what tithe does is reaches out to other people and is used to do ministry in the local conference. None of it stays here in the local church. Offerings are how we operate this church above and beyond the tithe. In fact, the local conference doesn't even keep all that. And you wonder, how could it exist? Now, how many of you have ever looked at a tomato and wanted to count the seeds? No. <laughs> God expects that if we're in a good relationship that we will give 10%, and tithe does mean 10%. When it leaves my pockets, guess whose money it is? Yeah, but you know what I think in my heart sometimes? I think it's still mine because I gave it. But here is something amazing. When I give it to God, he does miraculous things with it. Anytime I give money of any kind to God, he does miraculous things with it. In fact, when he says, try me, he says, prove me. I tried to put it on paper, and I tried to prove me. Do you know what I mean? I did the budget, and I'm like, I tried to prove me and be like, God, <clears throat> if I tithe, then I'm going to get this much from you, and that's, that's what I'm expecting. He goes like, yeah, you're going to have a shortfall of $350 this month. Deal with that. <sighs> oh, 
oh God, I'm starting to really sweat. You're gonna lose your car this week. Oh, dear Lord, how am I gonna have a job? I'm gonna lose your house. No, I don't want my house being lost. You're gonna lose everything. I'm not Job. But he's speaking to us and saying, I will give you exactly what you need. You can budget to the half penny, but you can't afford not to tithe and give offerings to me. If you want to believe me in this, or if you don't want to believe me in this, look at the story of Israel. The story of Israel is one that is up and down with a relationship with God. Did they have a good relationship with God always? This king would come and he says, we are going to worship God and we're going to, oh, we're going to rebuild the temple and all kinds of stuff. We'll look at Hezekiah in a little bit. But we're going to do all this wonderful stuff. The next king would come and be like, God, man, we're going to set up five gods and we're going to have you worship them. And the country would go, boom. In fact, it got so bad that they didn't let their land rest that all of a sudden Nebuchadnezzar comes, takes them away. And their land rested for 70 years. If you look at 70 times 7, 490 years of apostasy, God let the land rest for 70 years because he says you need to let it rest. So when we look at things, be like, dear God, my heart, my lungs, my mind, cancer, no matter what it is, if we embrace these principles, it's not the paycheck that makes us operate. It is the life that we have with God. We live by blessings of God and blessings of God only. And sometimes bad things happen, but there are still blessings in those bad times. Turn in your Bibles with me to 2 Chronicles. 2 Chronicles chapter 31. Get there eventually here. Second Chronicles 31, 11 and 12. Now Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them, and they faithfully brought into the tithes and the offerings and dedicated things. Conaniah, the Levite, had charged them, and Shimei, his brother was, uh, was the Jehiel and Azaziah, Nahaleth, Asahel, Asahel, Jeremoth, Josabath, Elil, Ismachiah, Mahath, and Benaiah were overseers under the hands of Conaniah and Shimei, his brother. At the commandment of Hezekiah, the king of the Azariah, the ruler of the house of God. And it goes down here and it shows that they're dedicating the temple to God. They're dedicating the, not only the temple to God, after I slaughtered all their names, but they're dedicating themselves to God. And when they dedicated themselves to God, all of a sudden something happened, happened in the nation. And this all started with just basically one thing. And that is a consecration of God's people by the temple and by the king to God. 
Wouldn't it be amazing if we consecrated ourselves to God and all of a sudden things changed drastically and people all of a sudden noticed that that place is different so much that we want to know why. In fact, prosperity, not just in money, because prosperity sometimes is not just money, but well-being of the people was so great that people took a notice. And they were consecrating themselves to God. What would it look like if we consecrated just our families to God and then our church to God? If we understand consecration, the people and nation were wandering away from God and doing their own pleasures and doing whatever they wanted, and then they said, we don't want to be in control anymore. We want you, God, to be in control of everything we do. Hezekiah leads his people back to God, takes out all those gods out of the temple, makes sure that everything is restored, builds a place where the tithes and offerings can be taken in, and all of a sudden things restart. It's like a marriage commitment. God says, you give me 10%, I'll do the rest. How many of you would like that? The spouse is only gonna you know, take 10% and I got the rest? Wow. Some would be like, yeah, that's not much. <laughs> but this is an interesting relationship that God only asks for 10%. Now, how many of you would like to count these when you're harvesting them? Does anybody know what they are? They're soybeans. At least I didn't think they were. That's what I thought I got a picture of. It's interesting that if you would tithe on these, it would be really hard. I'd probably do it by weight because that's about the only, I'm not, I don't have patience for counting. Um, in Israel, they actually counted, some of them did. And uh, that's amazing because I, I don't think I would have patience for that. But after commitment, what do you do? What's after commitment? Well, it's encouragement. God does the encouragement in this. And when he tells us to bring something as a command, and then we have committed to it, it's something that we do, and we say, we're consecrating this today, and we're going to do it forever. And then we're going to be like, hmm, what happens after we consecrate? Have you ever had a, a problem after you say, I'm going to do something and follow through? Nobody ever has that problem, right? Things get in the way. Well, the children of Israel, up until the time of Hezekiah, had been basically get, 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 get. God promised them, they got it. It's easy to settle into that kind of life, isn't it? Dear God, I would like this. Oh, thank you, dear God. I thank you very much. And then one day it stops. One day life becomes difficult. And then what happens? We start being bean counters. We start tallying up. Well, God, I gave you this. You should give me this. God's like, no, I'm trying to teach you a lesson right now. Well, I don't want to learn a lesson right now, but you need to. What lesson is it? I really don't need to know any lesson. We've been good. I mean, things have been going really well. I gave you the 10, and you gave me the 90. I mean, that's wonderful. It's a wonderful thing. Yes, but I need to treat, treat, teach you something else, and you need to treat me different. But I don't want to learn anything else. This is a really good partnership we have going here. It's something that I really want to uh, stick with, God. I mean, I'm feeling really bad right now because bad things are happening. I was able to look over a canola field one day. And I realized that those were all bean pods about ready to happen. Beautiful yellow. This can't even capture it. It's beautiful yellow. 
when I looked out over that, and I realized that God had a variety of almost everything that I needed, and that people were harvesting it for me, and that all I had to do is go buy it, and the people were actually providing the money too, because I am paid from the tithes and offerings of the church. I came to a very humbling realization that that picture right there was a picture of plenty, even if I ate none of it. Do you understand what I'm saying? I have plenty in my life, even if I go hungry. I have plenty in my life, no matter what might happen, because I have a relationship with God. If I have a relationship with God, it's only one thing that I really need to understand, and that understanding is, what is conversion? When I go underneath the watery grave of baptism, when I take God as my partner, and I am saying, I surrender to you, what really is going on? I understand conversion when I know that I died right alongside God, and when I came up, I was not myself, but I was a new person. When Hezekiah rededicated the children of Israel, he wasn't just saying, continue on as you are going, and then I will do whatever needs to be done. He's saying, I am the king, we're gonna do this, and all of us are gonna be on board. Are you with me? And everybody's like, yes! When we're converted, we're right alongside God, and when he says we need to do something, we're right there going, yes! Even if I don't like it. <laughs> because we're in a relationship with him. Do you remember your day you were baptized? Do you remember the day that you took profession of faith? Do you remember the day that your heart was converted and you realized God was in charge and not you? In fact, if you understand that, you have to understand Calvary. Go back with me in time to the time when Jesus was here on earth. Over and over again, Jesus talks to his disciples and he says, I want you to understand what's about ready to happen. John 3, 16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Not to get you to follow him, to get you to do something, but he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many people perished that were around Jesus? All of them. So it's talking about something different, isn't it? It's talking about a different type of perishing, a type of perishing that is eternal, one that says you no longer are with God or with anything ever again. That's the final goodbye, that you don't have to do that, that when God calls, that we will be resurrected. So when you understand Calvary and you understand he asks you to tithe, you understand giving because you become grateful. Who would like this? All of you would, right? You're like, I can't even fill up my tank anymore. I can't even get a burrito hardly anymore. Who would like this? A lot of volunteers. I know we'd have a lot of volunteers. Who would like this? We have an understanding of gratefulness because we have been given many things. But who wants this? In fact, if I asked you how, how much tithe there is in this, does anybody know? That's not a whole lot. 
We could rip it up into like little pieces. No, it wouldn't work that way. <laughs> but who would like this? It's a question that God gives all the time to us. I want to give you something. I want to give you something that is very important. It's more than $5. I didn't have a $5,000 bill. I wish I did. That would make it really juicy and tempting to a lot of you. But $5 isn't much. But what it represents is something that is very, very near and dear to my heart because I fell in love with God many, many years ago. I was baptized as a child, but I gave him 100% of myself. When he asked for tithe, I was like, no problem. There have been times since that I'm like, you know, with that money, I could be driving something else. I could be wearing something else. Could, nowadays, you know, you could wear a pair of shoes that are probably $5,000. I mean, seeing some of the ones that I've seen recently. Don't want to wear those kind because I might get them dirty. But do you want this? What's preventing you from having this? Because the gift of God is eternal life. The gift is something that is still here. Who wants this? Do you see the problem that we have? The gift's here. It's readily available for whoever wants it. Who wants it? What stipulations did I just offer? Nothing. Nothing. Just take it. You see, we are in a lifestyle that says get, get, get. But as Christians, we're really about give, give, give. If you look at all the money that you have or do not have, because I know some of you struggle. I have been there. I have lived in my car at one point. My parents didn't know about it. hope my mom's not watching. I know what it's like to be hungry. I know what it's like to be full. I mean, after Thanksgiving, I don't even know what that word means. It's not full. It's beyond full. I want to finish where we started with the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a shorter man, but whenever he walked by, people were really not happy with him because he was not a tax collector. He was a what? Chief tax collector. He was the scum of all scum to the, to the Jewish people. He was the one collecting taxes for the Romans, the people that were invaders that were living there. They were extracting money from the people there so that they could not live the way they wanted to. They were angry at this kind of stuff, and Zacchaeus would give more. I mean, you were only given this amount of money that you had to collect taxes, but you could add on to it your salary. And what you thought of yourself was how much people got taxed. Do you realize Zacchaeus was one of the ones that people hated the most? And when Jesus saw him, because he was curious about Jesus, he knew something was different about Jesus. And when he went to look at Jesus, he climbed up in the sycamore tree and looked down, and he was looking all over the place for Jesus because he didn't just want to see him, he wanted to meet him. And he didn't want to be too conspicuous, but in a tree, come on, Zacchaeus. You look like a, some kind of strange fruit. And as he's hanging out in that tree, Jesus looks up and he realizes an opportunity 
And he says, Zacchaeus, come down because I'm gonna go to your house today. I don't know if you know the ramifications of that, but Jesus elevated him that day to a place of importance and established with the people around that all of a sudden he was no longer the one that everybody needed to hate. He said, I'm going to come to your house today. And I've told you this before, that song is totally wrong. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He climbed up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up to the tree and he says, Zacchaeus, you come down. No, that's not how it is. <laughs> but we do that. He gives him an invitation. I'm going to your house today. I want to be a guest of honor. And you can't refuse me in your culture. You can't. And so he gets to the house and they're eating and they're kind of talking and he's kind of, he's seeing that Jesus is really authentic. He's not just there to get money out of him. And he's like, okay, God, what are you going to do here? And he goes, nothing. I just want to be at your house and tell you that somebody really loves you and cares about you and I want you to change. And he goes, okay, I'm going to change. And, I, and he had a heart change that day. And when the heart change happened, you know what he gave to God? He's like, 10%. Four times. I'm going to pay it back four times, and I'm going to give to the poor half of what I own. You see, when we come into contact with God, there is a life-changing experience that happens in our hearts and minds. It's no longer about I am the one that makes everything that happens in my life happen. It is God who does everything. And some of you, that is a struggle because I am that way too. I'm a preacher's kid. I said it. I'm a preacher's kid. I know the ins and the outs. I know what I should and shouldn't do. I know what makes you tick. I know what makes me tick. I know where you fall short. I know where I fall short. But at the end, it does not matter. What it matters is, am I one of God's children? And do I surrender to him? Understanding giving is becoming grateful for what he did on the cross. And as Zacchaeus came into consideration under Jesus... He understood that conversion was something that he wanted his whole life. And the tithing that he had, even if you go back to like Genesis 14 where Abraham and, uh, goes to the king of Salem and starts giving tithe, it only means that he gave tithe, but if you look in his heart, there was conversion when he found out that God did something wonderful for him. The first thing he did was give a tithe. An interesting side note, because sometimes ADHD takes the best of you. The king of Salem, it's interesting because the king of Salem, that place, becomes Jerusalem. Salem is still in the word. It's amazing to see. I would love to see that area. I would like to go back in history all the way until the flood. I'd love to see what was going on there, because apparently on that spot, even before things were happening with Abraham, God was using that spot to influence people. At the end of time, I don't believe it's going to happen like some people say, that they're going to rebuild the temple and everything like that. But again, everybody's going to be focused on it and understand that the focus is not to be on the place, but the king that is at the place. And the king that is at the place is Jesus, because if you look at Melchizedek and you look at Hebrews, you understand from Hebrews that Melchizedek is a form of Jesus, a type of Jesus. And when we fall in love with Jesus, the most wonderful thing happens in our lives. We want to look at Calvary and understand it in a way that we've never understood it before. 
And as Malachi says, prove me now. You can hear testimonies of those people who tithe faithfully and are blessed and God helps them. But that's not why people tithe. The Lord says, even for six months, I will put to test. And if you fail me, I will, I mean, this is a friend of mine, actually. For six months, I will tithe and I will prove you wrong, God. Okay? Six months later, he came back to give a testimony. And you know what he said? Praise God, I was wrong. Praise God, I was wrong because I almost lost my shirt. I lost almost everything and God made it through. I don't know how that's even possible. I don't know because I cannot do the math. And when I look at things and I understand who God is, he says, stop doing the math. When I said prove me, I meant about our relationship. You can go six months doing all this calculating and everything else like that but you missed the point, Pastor Lauren Nelson III. You missed the point because bringing a tithe has nothing to do with money. It has to do with the consecration that you had. It has to do with the commitment that I, I want you to have. It goes to the commandment that I have, and it goes straight to Calvary. Do you really understand Calvary? Do you really understand me? And then I looked at this song, I gave my life for thee. How many of you looked in the hymnal and found that one? You can now. It was written as uh, Francis Ridley Halvigale. And the words read this, I, have my, I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed, that though midst ransom be and quickened from the dead, I gave, I gave my life for thee, what hast thou given for me? And the question that I will leave you with today, not as a question of guilt, Please do not take any of this as guilt. It's between you and God. What have you given for Christ? How much is Christ worth to you? Is he worth as much as a dime out of every dollar? How much do you have to give to him? And I'm not even talking about money anymore, but even a part of your week. He only asks for one-seventh of that. How much are you willing to give back to God? Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we've taken a small journey today that shows a king, a leader of a home, and the king of the universe. And the one common theme that they all have is they all gave because they came into contact and with relationship with you. Help us, dear Father, as a church body and as individuals, as we have come in contact with you, that we will give of more than just our money, but we will give 100% of our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and sing, O little town of Bethlehem.